Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. You are listening to PGN Prophetic Grace Network. This is Secrets Revealed. Understand the book of Revelation from start to finish. Today we have a step-by-step breakdown of each part of the book of Revelation and analysis and discussion of the 666 Antichrist prophecy. I am Dr. Nicole, your Book of Revelation research scientist. I am excited to share with you what God has given me to share about the book of Revelation, let's begin with how you can connect to the program. You can listen via internet at blogtalkradio.com backslash live prophetic. Again, you can listen via internet. That's blogtalkradio.com backslash live prophetic. You can listen via telephone. You can use our PGN text number, which is one two one four five zero five. Wait a minute. Yes, I'm saying the right thing. You can listen via PGN phone number 1319-527-6027. That's 1319-527-6027. If you're a first-time caller, uh, when you call, that's a way to listen to the program. If you press 1, that will raise your hand in our virtual queue. So if you don't press 1 and you are listening Uh, via telephone, that's 100% fine. If you want to share your perspective, present a prayer request, or pose a question about the book of Revelation, you can press 1, and that will raise your hand in the virtual queue. That will let your PGN host, in this case me, know that you want to connect live during the Internet broadcast. So I encourage you to do that. Also, you can connect via our PGN text number. That number is one. 214-505-8719. That's the number I was giving earlier. You can use that number 24-7. So let's say later today after the live Internet broadcast, you think of a question about the book of Revelation, you can text that in. So you can use that 24-7. Our PGN text number is 1-214-505-8719. When I receive your question from Prophet Randy Chandler, I will respond Uh, to the text and address the question or comment during a future internet broadcast. Okay, so let's get started. Two things on our agenda for today. Number one, step-by-step breakdown of each part of the book of Revelation. And number two, the 666 Antichrist prophecy. Let's start with our step-by-step breakdown. The book of Revelation is the 66th book. It's the culminating book of the Bible. It's book number 27 of 27 books in the New Testament. It has 22 chapters. So it starts with chapter 1. It ends with chapter 22. Let's start with chapter 1, looking at all six parts of the book of Revelation. So if you were going to create uh, a book, you would have an outline And that outline would allow you to 
map out how you want to organize your thoughts. So we're looking at the organization of the book of Revelation, doing a step-by-step breakdown so that you can know where you are in the book of Revelation so that we can have insight into the mind of God as he gave the book of Revelation to John the Revelator. Okay, so let's talk about part number one. In chapter one of the book of Revelation, there are two parts. It has a preface. Uh, Some versions of the book of Revelation refer to it as a prologue, and then it has what I believe is a formal introduction. So the first two parts of the book of Revelation, the preface, verses 1 to 8, and then the formal introduction, verses 9 to 19. We're going to hear those in a moment. The third part of the book of Revelation is the seven letters to seven churches. The fourth part of the book of Revelation is John's report on heaven. The fifth part of the book of Revelation and the bulk of the book are its statements of prophecy. So those begin with chapter 5 and end with verse 5 of chapter 22. The sixth and final part of the book of Revelation is the formal conclusion. Now let's begin with Part one, I want us to hear in its entirety uh, several parts today as we do our step-by-step breakdown. Let's start with the preface. Some versions of the book of Revelation refer to it as a prologue. So if you didn't know anything about the book of Revelation and you wanted to get the take-home point, you would look at this and you would get the take-home point. Let's hear it. Verses 1 to 8. The preface for the book of Revelation, it says, This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look. He comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. 
the Almighty One. That is the preface, the prologue for the book of Revelation. What did we learn? Number one, we learned what it is. It is a message from who? From Jesus Christ. The message went from God to Jesus Christ and from Jesus Christ to an angel and from an angel to John, the revelator. All of that is in verse one. It says, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him. So God gave it to Jesus Christ. Why? To show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John. Okay. So John, the revelator, we're told, is the person who received the revelation, but it comes from Jesus Christ. And what is it? It says, quote, this is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And before that, we're told that he faithfully reported everything he saw. So the book of Revelation includes three things. John's faithful report of everything he saw. Well, you say, well, what did he see? Well, here in part four, his report on heaven. So everything that he saw in heaven and all of the statements of prophecy, which were visions, moving pictures that he was shown. So the book of Revelation has in it, we're told in this prologue, a report of everything that John saw, a report of the word of God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we're going to hear a little bit more about those. We also heard in this prologue or preface that there's a special blessing that comes on every person who listens to the message of the book of Revelation and obeys what it says. We're told further that included in this book is a letter from John to the seven churches. We'll hear more about those in a moment. And finally, most importantly, we're told that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness to everything in the book of Revelation, that he's the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. Now, when is he the ruler of all the kings of the world? He's the ruler when he establishes his government on this present earth, when he fights and wins the Battle of Armageddon. Immediately upon the fighting and winning of the Battle of Armageddon, the establishment of the government of Jesus Christ, that's the kingdom of God, will begin on this earth. So that's soon to come. And the end of this prologue is very interesting. It's very interesting where we hear that the narrator, we hear that the narrator for the prologue is the Lord God. It says in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. So God the Father created a human body that he could indwell, Jesus Christ, his Son. So Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. But as we uh, 
have heard elsewhere in the Bible, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Okay, so we have part one gives us an overview, tells us where the book of Revelation comes from and what it is. It's the revelation from Jesus Christ, and it ends with talking about who the Lord God is, and we're told he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Okay, so the book of Revelation is all about the second coming of Jesus Christ, where the identity of Jesus Christ as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings will be revealed for everyone to know. Right now, believers know that, but there are those who don't know. And we're told everyone will see him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him, realizing who he really is and what really happened uh, when he came as the Lamb of God. Let's continue. Part two of the book of Revelation. Now we're getting into the meat of things. So verses nine, verses nine to twenty, this is the formal introduction. And like we see in a lot of uh, very well written documents, those writers who are prolific and amazing, they often use parallel structure and language in the introduction and conclusion. We say we see the same thing sometimes in songwriting or in dance. So there are ways of creating communication that uh, provide a beauty with symmetry. And so we see in part two the formal introduction and in part six, the formal conclusion, this symmetry, both have the same two narrators. So what we're about to hear is narration from John the Revelator and Jesus Christ. So the words of Jesus Christ with Jesus Christ talking appear in the formal introduction, the second half, verses 9 to 20 of chapter 1, and in the formal conclusion, verses 6 all the way to the end of chapter 22. So what we're going to hear right now, part 2 of the book of Revelation, notice that the introduction begins with John the Revelator talking and Jesus Christ talking, and the conclusion include both John the Revelator talking and Jesus Christ talking. And it makes sense, right? So this is about... When Jesus Christ will return, the second coming of Jesus Christ and the ensuing battle of Armageddon, followed by the thousand-year millennial reign, followed by the great white throne judgment, followed by our transition to the new earth and the eternities of eternities. And before then, there are all the events leading up to his second coming, in particular, the great tribulation. So the book of Revelation is about primarily those things. The seven-year period preceding and culminating with the Battle of Armageddon, the Battle of Armageddon, which uh, is preceded by the second coming of Jesus Christ. So let's hear the formal introduction. Beginning with verse 9 of chapter 1, it says, I, John, am your brother and your partner 
in suffering, and in God's kingdom, and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the spirit. So let's pause for a second. So now we're at the beginning. John is introducing us to his experience. How how did he arrive at receiving the book of Revelation? How did this happen? So he identifies himself, and he tells us he was on the island of Patmos where he had been exiled. And now we're going to continue with verse 10. He says, it was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. Let's pause there for a second. So who is John the Revelator seeing? He's seeing Jesus Christ. And we hear later in the book of Revelation we hear later that this two-edged sword that's coming from his mouth is the same sword that he's going to use at the Battle of Armageddon when he fights and wins the war against the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the armies of the Ten Nation Alliance. Let's continue. Verse 17 says, Let's go back to verse 16. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever. So it is confirmed. This is Jesus Christ talking to John the Revelator, and he's telling us uh, what happened. So he died on the cross. He rose from the dead three and a half days later. Then he ascended 40 days later from there. He ascended into heaven where he currently resides. That's where Jesus Christ is today. He's in a physical location, which is heaven, and he continues to exist in his tangible physical body. It's a glorified, perfected, immortal body. It's the same body that every person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life will transition to at the time of the second coming. So 
So what does he say to John the Revelator? I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. That's the end of the formal introduction. What do we learn in part two of six parts of the book of Revelation? We learn who the author is of the book of Revelation, how it, who is John the Revelator. We learned how it is, uh, how, where he was when it all started, which is uh, the Isle of Patmos, the island of Patmos. And we learned that he was exiled there. And we hear specifically what Jesus Christ told him. So he was instructed to write down everything that he sees. He's going to tell us about that momentarily and to send it to the seven churches in the cities of, and then we heard those seven cities. So at that time, there were seven churches on the earth uh, in these specific locations, and Jesus told him to uh, write down everything he sees and to send them uh, send the letter to those seven churches. Now that's part two. Let's continue with part three. So this is very interesting. A unique part of the book of Revelation is that Jesus Christ had words of praise, words of criticism, and words of consolation for all of those who are part of each of the seven churches. So chapters two and three of the book of Revelation include letters for each of the seven churches. And in each letter, Jesus Christ shares what the church is doing well, what the church is not doing so well at, what the church needs to do in terms of correction. And finally, for all seven churches, he ends with uh, words of consolation, encouragement. This is what is going to happen for everyone who is victorious. So when you look at chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, everything with respect to uh, words of praise and words of criticism that was for that period of time and specifically what was happening at that time on the present earth in those churches. For example, let's say you live in Houston, Texas, or you live in um, Salt Lake City, Utah, and there's a church there. Jesus, if he was giving letters to John for churches that existed today in 2023, the letter would be addressed to the name of the church in Houston, the name of the church in Salt Lake City, Utah, the name of the church in Mexico City, Mexico, the name of the church in Lisbon, uh, Portugal. Is everyone with me? So when you look at part three of the book of Revelation, the part that is 
most relevant. So it's all for uh, learning and can be useful. But the part that's most relevant for individuals on the present earth today is what Jesus ends with for every church. Because whether a person is victorious and that person lived in 70 A.D., 100 A.D., 500 A.D., 1876, 1976, or 2023, whenever, whenever you end your race in your first earth suit, if you are victorious, the rewards, those rewards are yours. So what is promised to those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it's for everyone, whether that person existed in the earth at that time, uh, 500 years ago, 50 years ago, five years ago, or today, or five years from now. Okay, so let me give you an example. In Chapter 2, and by the way, Part 3, 100% of Part 3 are the words of Jesus Christ. So there are no words from John the Revelator or anyone else in Part 3 of the Book of Revelation. It's 100% the testimony of Jesus Christ. So remember, we learned in the prologue and preface that the Book of Revelation has three things in it, the testimony of Jesus Christ, the Word of God, and the report of everything that John saw. So those are the statements of prophecy. So here, these are words of Jesus Christ. I just want to give some examples of uh, the parts that are most relevant, uh, relevant to believers today. Uh, verse 7, let's hear verses 1 to 7. This is the message to the church in Ephesus. It says, now, remember, there's seven letters to seven churches, so that's part three. Let's hear one of the letters as an example. So verses one to seven of chapter two, it says, write this letter to the angel of the church, Ephesus. Now, if you have a red letter Bible, all of these will be in red letters. Why? Because, again, part three of the book of Revelation, chapters two and three, the seven letters to the seven churches are 100% the words of Jesus Christ. So this is Jesus Christ talking to John the Revelator, and he says, quote, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. So, of course, this is Jesus Christ. And he says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Okay, so he begins with identifying who he is, Jesus Christ. Then he gives words of praise. Now we're going to hear the third thing. It, he follows the same format for all seven churches. Continuing, then Jesus says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, 
I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. So those are words of criticism. So Jesus shares what they're doing very well and then what they were not doing so well at. Then he has uh, one more word of praise for them. Verse 6 says, but this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Now we're going to hear in verse 7, the final verse for the church in Ephesus. This is the part that is relevant for you and I today, most relevant. It's all relevant, but this is the part that is strongly relevant. This is a promise for you, truth seeker, believer, for everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life, everyone who's among the the wheat, the good fish, the sheep. He says, verse 7, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So that's a promise to you. Let's hear that promise again. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So what are what else are the promises? So with letter number two, this is to Smyrna in verse 11, he says, Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. That's a promise for you. So if you are victorious, in other words, if you follow God's plan for salvation, if Jesus Christ is your mediator, you will not be harmed by the second death. The second death is the lake of fire. That's eternal damnation. The second death is described in the dead judge prophecy in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. Now, what else are the promises in part three of the book of Revelation for us today, for every person, past, present, and future, every person who is in Christ? Verse 17, this was written to the church in Pergamum. It says, to everyone who is victorious, I believe that's you, truth seeker and believer, to everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. All right. And here's another promise for you, for every believer whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, every person who is victorious, every person who either dies in Christ or who is in Christ at the time of the second coming. In the message to the church in Thyatira, Jesus gives this promise for you. To all who are victorious who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my Father, and I will also give them the morning star. And, of course, he is the morning star. He will give you himself. 
Another promise for you in part three of the book of Revelation, the seven letters to the seven churches, chapters two and three of the book of Revelation, in the message to the church in Sardis, Jesus Christ says this for you. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. So we're in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Now, what does it mean to be victorious? It means to be in Christ, to find and follow God's plan for salvation. Another promise for you, this is in the message to the church in Philadelphia, chapter 3. Verse 11, verse 12 of chapter 3 says, All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. So that's a promise. Now, we come back to this promise in the new earth prophecy in revelation chapters 21 and 22 but here it is he's telling them uh those in the church in philadelphia at the time that john the revelator lived in his mortal body on this present earth this was the message that jesus christ had for them but anyone who finds and follows god's plan for salvation no matter what year it is if you find and follow his plan for salvation before the second coming of Jesus Christ, this promise is for you. Okay, let's hear the last promise. It was written in the message to the church in Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne so there they are the most relevant scriptures uh, from my perspective in part three of the book of revelation for the believer and truth seeker today so part three of the book of revelation seven letters to seven churches in each of the seven letters jesus christ shares he identifies himself then he shares what the church is doing well, words of praise. Then he shares what they're not doing so well, words of criticism and instruction. And finally, he ends with, here's what you're going to get if you're victorious. Okay, so part four of the book of Revelation, what is it? It is John's report on heaven. Let's review quickly. Part one, that was the prologue or preface. Part two, the formal introduction. Part three, the seven letters to seven churches. And now we're at part four, John's report on heaven. So we heard in the introduction where John was, and Jesus Christ began to talk to him and to give him an instruction and to share testimony that John wrote down. So after John wrote down what Jesus Christ told him to write down, for letters for those seven churches, it continues. So what happened after that? After that, John is called up to heaven. 
Now, when he gets up to heaven, I think this would be the case for me and maybe for you too. He was amazed. And we're blessed because he tells us what he saw. So this is literally a report on heaven. It's John's report on heaven, not everything about heaven, what heaven is, why it's fantastic, uh, how to how to get there, nothing like that. It's his report specifically on what did he actually see and experience when he was in heaven this on this one specific occasion. So all of chapter four is John's report on heaven. As you know, there are many uh, scriptures on heaven in the Bible. These scriptures, all in chapter four of the book of Revelation, are specifically a report. So if we were with John, if we could tag team and be there with him, we would see what he saw. And so let's hear what he saw and how it is that he came to be in heaven. Okay, part four of the book of Revelation, John's report on heaven begins with verse one of chapter four, and he says, Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. In quote, so John the Revelator heard the same voice that he heard before. He says, so where did he hear it before in chapter 1? And before he heard that voice, he saw a door that had opened in heaven. And the voice says to him, come up here. Where's up here? Up here is heaven. So he sees a door in heaven, and then a voice tells him, Come on up here. So we're on earth above, I don't know if it's 10,000 feet above or 100,000 or exactly where above, but above us is a physical location, which is heaven, and below us is a physical location, which is Hades. So all human beings reside in one of those three locations. If we're here on the present earth, we're three in one, body, spirit, and soul. If a human being is in heaven, the human being is disembodied, spirit, and soul. If the human being is in Hades, the human being is disembodied, spirit, and soul. Those who died in Christ are in the physical location known as heaven. Those who died who were not in Christ are in the physical location known as Hades. Now let's continue. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. Let's pause there for a second. So John the Revelator says, and instantly I was in the spirit. When I look in the notes, they have, or in spirit. So it, it appears that John was saying, he left his physical body. I don't know whether he did or he didn't, but we do know for sure uh, that the Bible is true. And so John reports that he was in heaven. That means he was in heaven. This is the word of God. So he was in heaven. Now, did he travel up there in his mortal body? When I read this, I think he's telling us that he didn't. 
that he had an out-of-body experience. He was there singularly with his spirit, uh, and of course his soul is mind, will, and emotions, but not his physical body. Uh, but in any case, we know for sure that he was in heaven. And the first thing he tells us is, I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. Okay, let's pause. So in heaven, he sees a throne that's magnificent, and someone is sitting on that throne. And then... Surrounding that throne are 24 additional thrones, and he tells us, and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. Okay, so what does he see? Again, he sees a magnificent throne, and surrounding it are 24 thrones with elders who have on white outfits and gold crowns. They're wearing gold crowns on their heads. And in front of the one throne that someone is sitting on are two things. Number one, seven torches with seven burning flames and a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. Let's continue. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. This is where it it, it starts sounding like sci-fi, but it's beyond sci-fi. It's science fact. It's the um, omnipotence and creativity and magnificence of God. Let's hear it again. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings. And their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. So John's report on heaven ends with him describing to us the uh, the appearance of these four living beings, uh, each of which has six wings, the as well as their activities, which involve worshiping God. And he describes to us the appearance and activities of the 24 elders. 
which in their activities include worshiping the one sitting on the throne. So what are these four uh, living beings doing in heaven? They're worshiping the one who sits on the throne. And what are the 24 elders, even though they're also on their own thrones and they are wearing white and they have gold crowns on their heads, but what are they doing? They are also worshiping God. And so he tells us his report on heaven you heard it here. It's all in Revelation chapter 4, which is part 4 of the book of Revelation. Now, let's get to parts 5 and 6. We're going to drill down today talking about one of the key parts of part 5 of the book of Revelation, the 666 Antichrist prophecy. But before we do that, let's talk about part 5. Part 5 is the bulk of the book of Revelation. It's the part that we tend to think about when we talk about the book of Revelation. We tend to think about the prophecies in the book of Revelation. So where do you find the prophecies in the book of Revelation? You find those in part five. So part five of the book of Revelation begins with chapter five, and it ends with verse 5 of chapter 22. So one of the things that happened as I began to study the book of Revelation, um, I began first with doing uh, some Bible prophecy studies. I attended Jerusalem Prophecy College. They have two campuses, one campus uh, in Israel, in Jerusalem, and they have a second campus, a worldwide online campus. I attended that second campus as you may know, Irvin Baxter created Jerusalem Prophecy College. Uh, his ministry and the college continues with his son-in-law, Dave. But those uh, lessons, he created them, they're available uh, with him teaching over uh, 100 lessons focused on Bible prophecy. Take home point. After completing my Bible prophecy college studies, I continued with intense study and prayer on the book of Revelation. Long story short, this is what the Lord showed me. In part five of the book of Revelation, there are 12 statements of prophecy. Now we heard in verse, uh, we heard in chapter four, at the beginning of chapter four, that uh, John was called up to heaven and he gives us his report on heaven. And then after his report on heaven, he goes straight into straight into what the angel has shown him. Now you say, well, what angel? Remember in the prologue for the book of Revelation, we're told that God created uh, this information and gave it to Jesus Christ, who then assigned it to an angel to give to John the Revelator? So that's all in the preface or prologue, verses 1 to 8 of chapter 1. So now finally, in chapter 5, we get to the part where the angel is showing visions to John the Revelator. So sometimes, for example, today, God might give you a vision, a night vision or a waking vision. Um, in this case, John... The revelator was not given a vision that he experienced while he was sitting alone or while he was dreaming. 
he was shown visions, moving pictures by an angel. So let me say it this way. He saw these visions that were created by an omniscient God, and these visions were moving pictures. Today we refer to moving pictures as movies, but these weren't any kind of movie. These movies were what we would call documentaries because documentaries are, re, are about realities. So the prophecies that John the Revelator was shown by the angel are realities that reflect future events, important events, events that precede the second coming of Jesus Christ, events that include the great tribulation, the wrath of Satan, as well as the wrath of God, the seven final plagues, as well as the battle of Armageddon and the millennial reign and the new earth to come. So in part five of the book of Revelation, we have documentaries that John the Revelator was shown. And in my time of study and prayer, this is what the Lord revealed. The angel showed John the Revelator, 12, 12 documentaries about future events. And I'm going to tell you specifically what they are and where you can find them. And this year on PGN, every month we are focused on one of those 12 statements of prophecy, one of those 12 visions, moving pictures that John the Revelator was shown. And we're doing them in order. For example, April is the fourth month of the year, and the 666 Antichrist prophecy is the fourth statement of prophecy. So we're talking about it on every program in the month of April. Okay, so John the Revelator was shown these moving pictures by the angel, and so he writes down using words what he saw. So let's say that you, uh, you were watching a movie uh, let's say you were watching the movie Rocky, and your task was to share with us what happened in the movie Rocky. You'd start writing down everything that you saw to the best of your ability. You would capture what you actually saw. So that was the task, the assignment that John the Revelator was given. So what we see is he, he wrote down what the angel uh, showed him. Now, did John the Revelator know that he was being shown uh, 12 different documentaries, 12 different visions, but all in a row? I don't know. I have no idea, but let me tell you what they are. The first vision, the first moving picture, the first statement of prophecy in the book of Revelation is the seven seals prophecy. It spans chapters 5 6, 7, and verse 1 of chapter 8. The second moving picture, the second vision, the second statement of prophecy that John the Revelator was given was the seven trumpets prophecy. It, it immediately follows the seven seals prophecy, picking up right there with verse 2 of chapter 8, and it goes all the way to the end of chapter 11. The third vision shown to John the Revelator is the 1,260 days prophecy. It's all of chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. 
The fourth vision, in other words, the fourth documentary, the fourth statement of prophecy, the fourth prophecy John was shown was the 666 Antichrist prophecy. In just a few minutes, we're going to go straight to that. That's all of chapter 13 of the book of Revelation. The fifth statement of prophecy is the 144,000 first fruits prophecy, verses 1 to 5 of chapter 14. That's one of two short statements of prophecy. Let me point something out here. The 144,000 first fruits prophecy is its own statement of prophecy, but that 144,000, it's referenced in the seven seals prophecy. So you might say, well, isn't it just all one story? It isn't just all one story, and here's why. The Battle of Armageddon happens only one time, yet it's described in several of the statements of prophecy, several of the visions that John the Revelator was shown. Why? The information is so detailed and so complex that it's broken up into manageable, bite-sized pieces of information. So in other words, when you study the book of Revelation and you want to understand the prophecies, there's so many in here that God decided in his omniscience, he's all-knowing, he's omniscient, in his wisdom, to to simplify it by giving us bite-sized prophecies to increase the likelihood that we would be able to get it all, to understand it. And so let me continue, and we'll share more about that uh, as we uh, get on with the 666 Antichrist prophecy later. Um, but let me let me back up for one second, though. Let me give you a proof. So you might say, well, I think it's all just one prophecy. Surely it isn't, because the second coming of Jesus Christ only happens one time, but it's described in several statements of prophecy. So if you don't realize that part five, that there are actually 12 visions that John was shown, 12 statements of prophecy, you'll think that the second coming, coming happens multiple times you'll think that the battle of armageddon happens three four five six times you'll think that uh many things happen over and over again but we know that the second coming of jesus christ happens only one time the battle of armageddon happens only one time so that's the proof that john was shown multiple uh visions let's continue the sixth statement of prophecy the sixth vision that John was shown, verses 6 to 20 of chapter 14, the prophecy. So let's continue. We're halfway between, we're halfway. So we've heard the first six of 12 statements of prophecy. Now, if you are interested in the wrath of God, so chapter 12 and 13 focus on the wrath of Satan. Right, the 1,260 days prophecy and the 666 Antichrist prophecy we're going to talk about today. But what about the wrath of God? So the wrath of Satan is followed by the wrath of God. The seventh vision John was shown is the seven plagues prophecy. So 
So the seven plagues prophecy, chapters 15 and 16 of the book of Revelation. We'll be talking about it uh, July. Uh, that's the seventh month. So we'll be talking about it this July, the seven plagues prophecy, the purple and scarlet prophecy, all about the harlot church, the one world religion that will work in tandem with the one world government, the new world order during the great tribulation. That's described in the purple and scarlet prophecy. It begins with chapter 17 and it ends with verse five of chapter 19, the purple and scarlet prophecy. The ninth statement of prophecy is the marriage supper prophecy. So after the wrath of God, which culminates with the battle of Armageddon, uh, we go to the millennial reign. So the purple and scarlet prophecy is followed by the marriage supper prophecy. That's the ninth vision John was shown. It is, if you want to know all the details about the battle of Armageddon, the prophecy in the book of Revelation that focuses almost entirely on the battle of Armageddon is the marriage supper prophecy, the marriage supper, the wedding feast, the wedding banquet. That is the battle of Armageddon verse six to the end of chapter 19. So verses six to 21, the marriage supper prophecy, the 10th statement of prophecy in the book of Revelation. And let me say this. So 75% of the statements of prophecy. So, from statement of prophecy number one to statement of prophecy number nine, they're all about the events leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ and sometimes including the second coming and the battle of Armageddon. When we look at Revelation, um, when we look at the 10th, 11th, and 12th statements of prophecy, this is all about what happens after the return of Jesus Christ. So what happens after the battle of Armageddon, I should say? So what happens after the battle of Armageddon? If you if you want to know about that, so that's the 10th, 11th, and 12th statements of prophecy. Number 10, the 10th vision John the Revelator was shown is the millennial reign prophecy. So millennia refers to a thousand. So the millennial reign prophecy is about the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ being here with us being the Lord of Lord and King of Kings on this present earth, every truth seeker being in his or her glorified immortal bodies and ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. That's verses one to 10 of chapter 20. So the millennial reign prophecy, that's the 10th vision. John was shown the 10th statement of prophecy verses one to 10 of chapter 20 verses 11 to 15, the great white throne judgment. What happens after Satan's destroyed? What happens after Satan is destroyed? What happens to those people who are in Hades? What about everyone who rejected Christ, and but they're disembodied? What happens to them? So some people think, oh, when you die, you go straight to hell if you didn't know Jesus. Not true. Not true. What kind of God would be just if if you don't have an opportunity to have your case heard? So every person... uh who has died but who wasn't in Christ, they're in a temporary location. That temporary location is Hades. And Hades is going to give them up, and they are going to a court, specifically the great white throne judgment. And each person will have the opportunity to have his or case heard. 
um, his or her case heard. But everyone who participates in the great white throne judgment uh, will lose that case. We know that from the prophecy itself. But that prophecy, the dead judged prophecy, that's statement of prophecy number 11. So if you want to know what's going to happen to every person who uh, who rejected Christ and when are, when are they going to hell and how does that work, that's in the dead judged prophecy. Verses 11 to 15 of chapter 20. The culminating, the final statement of prophecy in the book of Revelation. So we're talking about part five, the fifth part of the book of Revelation, which is the prophecies. The final prophecy is the new earth prophecy. So we're told in the letters of instruction in one of the 21 epistles that this earth is going to wear out, and God's going to fold it up like it's an old cloak, and we're going to transition to a new earth. So this present earth, it's not, uh, it will not be here forever. We're getting a, a new earth and new heavens. That's described in Revelation chapter 21, beginning with verse 1 and ending with verse 5 of chapter 22. So if you want to know about what happens after the end of the age, what happens after the end of this world, what happens after the end of time, uh, that's the statement of prophecy for you to focus on, the new earth prophecy. I tell you, friend, if you ever, uh, if you ever have a loved one die or perhaps uh, you're in your final week of life, your final day, your final two years, whatever it is, and you you need to know what is in your future specifically, please know you are returning. If you are a believer, if you are in Christ, you are returning to a not only this present earth, so not only are you coming back with the second coming of Jesus Christ, you're transitioning to your uh, immortal glorified body, but beyond the thousand years, you will continue to live forever and ever on a new earth where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more grief, no more mourning, no more death, and no more tears. So that's all described in the new earth prophecy, Revelation chapter 21 and verses 1 to 5 of 22. Now, what about the ending? How does the book of Revelation end? So let's say you put time and attention into studying the prophecies in the book of Revelation. How does it all end? So just like the introduction that we heard about, the conclusion to the book of Revelation is narrated by Jesus Christ and John the Revelator. So if you were studying the book of Revelation, you want to understand it, you always want to know where am I in the book of Revelation? Am I in the prologue? Am I in John's report on heaven? Am I in the seven letters to seven churches? Am I in one of the statements of prophecy? If I am, which one? Which one? Okay. Now how does it end? What What's the take-home point of this book? So let's say you spent some time studying the different prophecies in the book of Revelation. Here is the take-home point. This is how it all ends, beginning with verse 6 of chapter 22. John the Revelator says, 
Then the angel said to me, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. Let's pause there for a second. So what's everything that John heard and saw? So he heard and saw the one sitting on the throne and the four creatures and the 24 elders and them worshiping God. But everything that he's just heard and seen are all of the 12 visions that were exhibited to him, the 12 moving pictures, the 12 documentaries created by God that reflect future realities. So he actually sees the Battle of Armageddon. He actually sees the second coming of Jesus Christ. He actually sees the Great Tribulation. And he describes these events that he's seen uh, with these 12 documentaries. So the angel says to John the Revelator, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. So the angel is confirming the Lord God has sent his angel, that's the angel speaking, to tell his servants what will happen soon. So who are his servants? You and me, John the Revelator, every truth seeker. So remember, we already heard this uh, in the prologue. And now the angel is saying what we've heard, that the angel was sent to uh, share this with John the Revelator. Let's continue. Look, I am coming soon. So we go from... John telling us what the angel said to now Jesus talking. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. Let me back up so you can hear that all together. Then the angel said to me, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. Look. I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. So remember, the introduction and conclusion have both Jesus Christ talking and John the Revelator talking. So Jesus speaks in verse 7, and now in verse 8, John is talking again. John says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as all who obey what is written in this book. Worship only God. Then he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vowed continue to be vowed. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. So now we're transitioning back to Jesus again, right? So we know that in the formal conclusion, you know, Jesus is excited. He was given this task to share the information with the angel and for the angel to uh, share with John the Revelator. So the angel has already shown John the 12 visions. Now it's the conclusion. Jesus is excited, so he's chiming in. He has something to say. John has something to say. Then he has more to say. So let's back up and hear what Jesus is saying now. 
In verse 12, Jesus jumps in and says, look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. Let me pause there for a second. In the 12 statements of prophecy, in the new earth prophecy, we hear about, quote, unquote, the city. So today you could argue, um, if we lived in Asia, we might argue that Beijing is the center of the world. If you live in uh if you live on the East Coast, you might argue that New York is the center of the world. If you live in Texas, you're going to argue maybe that Texas is the center of the world. Certainly, if you live in California, you might argue that L.A. is the center of the world. Um, if you're a person who's into finance, you might make another argument. Maybe uh, – let me pause. You, you get where I'm going with this. When Jesus Christ returns – and he fights and wins the battle of Armageddon. He puts down the kingdoms of man, the governments of man, the governments of this present age. And he establishes his government. In Isaiah chapter 9, it tells us, and of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. So it's the beginning of the kingdom of God on this present earth. And the center of the world is not going to be Washington, D.C. I love Washington. I'm from, I was born in Washington, D.C., but it's not going to be Washington, D.C. It's not going to be L.A. It's not going to be Vancouver. It's not going to be any of the wonderful cities that exist, although uh, many of these cities will continue to exist. We know that from the New Earth Prophecy. Uh, the center of the world, the center of the government of the world is going to be Jerusalem. It's going to be Jerusalem, the one that exists currently, and their borders are going to be extended after the return of Jesus Christ, after he fights and wins the Battle of Armageddon. Those borders established, uh, but let me pause, and... Uh, Yes, that's the take-home point that I wanted to make. So when it's talking about the city here in the conclusion, it's talking about Jerusalem. After the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ and then the great white throne judgment, then we transition to a new earth. But guess what? On the new earth, there's still Jerusalem, but it's a new Jerusalem. It's a new and improved Jerusalem, just like we have a new and improved earth. So Jerusalem is going to be the center of the world, the center of the government of Jesus Christ forever and ever. Okay, let's continue. What else does Jesus say? Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. 
And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. He who is the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. That's you, truth seeker and friend. You are among God's holy people. The book of Revelation is for you. We are about to transition to hearing the 666 Antichrist prophecy. I hope that it's been helpful and useful to hear a uh, step-by-step overview of the book of Revelation, the breakdown of each part. There are six parts to the book of Revelation. We've heard about each of those six parts. It begins with the prologue followed by a formal introduction, followed by seven letters to seven churches, followed by John's report on heaven. Then we get to the statements of prophecy. That's the bulk of the book of Revelation, and it ends with the formal conclusion uh, narrated by both Jesus Christ and John the Revelator. So today, let's go to part five of the book of Revelation. That's the visions that John was shown. So remember, the angel shows John these visions when he's caught up to heaven, shows them all in a row. John writes them down, and we get to hear documentaries about events coming up in our future. So the 666 Antichrist prophecy is an amazing, it's an amazing statement of prophecy. We're going to hear about two beasts. So the beast represents a 10-nation alliance that ultimately makes the Antichrist its leader and mouthpiece. So we're going to hear about one beast who is the Antichrist, and then we're going to hear about what is referred to in this prophecy as another beast. So there are actually two beasts described in the 666 Antichrist prophecy. Chapter 13 of the book of Revelation is a prophecy that focuses on the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation is three and a half years. The Great Tribulation is 42 months. The Great Tribulation is 1,260 days. The Great Tribulation happens within Daniel's 70th week. It's one set of seven described in Daniel chapter 9. Set of seven what? Seven years. So there's a seven-year period and in that seven-year period, there's the Great Tribulation that Jesus described in the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Let's hear what the book of Revelation tells us in this 666 Antichrist prophecy. Every prophecy begins with its own summary, its own abstract, its own movie trailer and words, and then you get a full report. Let's hear the summary Verses 1 to 5 of chapter 13, and we'll go into the full report. 
it says, Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns, with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blaspheme God. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshipped the dragon for giving the beast such power. And they also worshipped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed, who is able to fight against him? Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. That is the movie trailer in words, the abstract for the 666 Antichrist prophecy. Every vision John was shown was formatted that way. So in the vision, there's a quick snapshot, a quick summary, a quick movie trailer, and then it's followed by a full report. I'll show you the proof of that in a moment. But let's first, uh, let's first drill down. What did we hear? What did we just hear, verses 1 to 5? The Antichrist will be given three things by Satan. So the dragon is Satan. That's described and defined for us in Revelation chapter 12 and in Revelation chapter 20. So we hear in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 13 that Satan is going to give the Antichrist power and a throne and great authority. And about that authority, we're told at the end of the movie trailer in words, we're told that he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. So he's saying he was given as if it happened in the past. But remember, John the Revelator watched this documentary. And so for him, it's in his future and our future, but it already happened because he saw not only uh, the beginning of it, but he, he saw that it actually happened and how it ends. Okay, so it sounds like it's in the past, but it's in our future. Now, he saw the beast rising up out of the sea. This is the same beast referred to in Daniel chapter 7. And interestingly, it's noted that the beast has, uh, looks like a leopard, has the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. Due to time constraints, I'm just going to say very briefly, the leopard, the bear, and the lion represent three of what will ultimately, uh, three of the ten nations in this alliance. So we learn in Daniel that the Antichrist is going to put down three, three of the heads, three of the presidents, prime ministers, whatever their titles are. He's going to put three of them down, and then he's going to become the leader of this thing. So when this ten-nation alliance emerges, the Antichrist will not initially be its lead. But we're learning in the book of Daniel that he's going to put down three of those crowns, and he will rise as the leader of the new world order, the one world government. So it tells us it had seven heads. Okay. 
Um, let's hear the full report. So we know that the rule and reign of the Antichrist is for a finite period of time. That finite period of time simply means that it is not allowed to persist forever, but it is limited to precisely 42 months. In Revelation chapter 12, we're told that it's 1,260 days. And later, uh, in Revelation chapter 12, we're told that it's a time, times, and half a time, that's three and a half years. And that makes sense, right? So the Bible confirms itself. So seven years would be 84 months, but half of seven years is 42 months. And we're told right here in the 666 Antichrist prophecy that the Antichrist will have authority for only 42 months. Here's the full report. Verse 6 to the end of chapter 13. Now we're going to hear this. It has two parts. Uh, verses 6 to 10. And then verses 11 to 18. Really it has three, par three parts. Verses 6 to 8 are about the Antichrist. Verses 9 and 10. What are we as members of the church, as the body of Christ, what are we supposed to do during the Great Tribulation? We have an instruction it's here in the prophecy, verses 9 to 10. And then what, what about the false prophet? That's verses 11 to 18. Okay, let's hear uh, these three parts. Verses 6 to 8, about the Antichrist, it says, And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. So if you want to know what is the Antichrist going to actually do? During the Great Tribulation, here it is, verses 6 to 8. He's going to blaspheme God. He's going to slander heaven. He's going to slander those who are in heaven. He's going to wage war against Christians. He's going to conquer Christians. He's going to have authority that extends to every tribe, people, language, and nation. The people of the world, so he's going to be worshipped by the people of this world. So he's going to experience a worship and adoration and praise, but it's not going to be by everyone. It's limited to, quote, the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb. So in other words, it's limited to the goat. It's limited to the wheat. It's limited to the tares. It's limited to the bad fish. So who will not be worshiping the Antichrist? those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, those who are the sheep, those who are the wheat, those who are the good fish. Okay, let's continue. What's our instruction? It happens next in verses 9 and 10. Our instruction is provided here. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means, now let's pause there. So if we want to understand what's, what's our action item during the 
42 months where the Antichrist will rule and reign, we're told what it is in in verse 10. First, we're told that we need to listen and understand if we have ears to hear. And in verse 10, the instruction is given. And then the instruction is explained at the end of verse 10. It says, this means, so let's put our listening ears on and open our heart. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. So we're not to create our own army because the armies of heaven are the armies that are going to defeat the Antichrist under the leadership of Jesus Christ. Now, what about part three in the full report? What about the other beasts? So in the 666 Antichrist prophecy, it gives us the activities of the Antichrist. It gives us our instruction for the period of 42 months during which the Antichrist will rule and reign. And now we're going to hear about a second beast, the false prophet. What are his activities? Let's hear it, verses 11 to 18. Then... I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. So the second beast is going to speak the words of Satan. The dragon is Satan, but he's going to appear to be a man of God like a lamb. It says he had two horns like those of a lamb. So it is like he was a man of God. But, in fact, he's a man of Satan. Let's continue. Verse 12 of chapter 13 says, He exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. Now, why does he have the same authority as the first beast? Because Satan empowers both the Antichrist and the false prophet. They are his agents, his agents for destruction during the Great Tribulation, which is the wrath of Satan. Now, what is the false prophet going to do, it says? And he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. Did you hear that? He deceived all the people who belonged to this world. But a truth seeker and a believer doesn't belong to this world. You belong to the kingdom of God. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead, and no one could buy or sell anything without that mark which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. 
That is the conclusion of the 666 Antichrist prophecy. In upcoming programs, we'll be talking about what is 666 and who is this other beast? Who is the false prophet? And in August, we'll be talking about the harlot church, the church who has as its leader the false prophet during the Great Tribulation. Thank you for being with me and with us. Wait, there's a question. It says the Antichrist is able to do whatever he wants during the last three and a half years. Can he kill everyone he doesn't like in that three and a half year period? Uh, that is a good question. Can he kill everyone he doesn't like in that three and a half year period? The Bible tells us that there will be people who are killed killed during the three and a half year period, but it doesn't say that it's everyone. How do we know that there are some people who will be killed? It says uh, in verse 4 of chapter 20, John the Revelator, I saw the souls of those who had been slain with axes beheaded for their witnessing to Jesus and for preaching and testifying for the word of God and who had refused to pay homage to the beast or his statue and had not accepted his mark or permitted it to be stamped on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived again and ruled with Christ a thousand years. I think the answer to that question is some people will be killed, but we know from other prophecies in the Bible that the Antichrist will not have dominion over all nations. So there are some, and, and we know that because we see where he's frustrated in other prophecies in the Bible. There's some nations, for example, the nation of Jordan, he won't have, uh, he won't be able to take that nation over in its entirety, and there are other places. So he will have some form of a authority that he's given probably through an organization such as uh, the World Health Organization or the United Nations or something like that. And this statue, when a person is in front of the statue of the Antichrist, if the individual's response is not what it's supposed to be, in other words, whatever they tell us is worship. So I don't know if it's going to be, for example, when Hitler was here, they, they did a thing with their arm and they, they – uh, they moved it above their head in a certain way with their fingers, and that was their salute to Hitler. So I don't know if it's going to be like that or if it's going to be bowing down in front of the statue when certain words are said. Perhaps it might be kneeling. But we are told that when a person is in the presence of this statue, which is commissioned by the false prophet, every person who doesn't bow down and worship uh the image that that person is uh, is to die. So the failure to worship the beast as he is represented in this statue will result in death. Now, another question, though, is, well, where, where are these statues going to be, and how, how will they appear? Okay, so we have uh, innumerable, innumerable, Revelation 7, innumerable ones in the Great Tribulation, not killed. Let's go to 
Revelation 13, it says, so in Revelation chapter 13, verse 15, it says, he was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. So this is what the false prophet does. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. Now, it says here, the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. It doesn't say specifically that uh, anyone who refuses to worship it necessarily does die. But we did hear earlier in the prophecy that the Antichrist will be permitted to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. Um, but again... There will be people that the Antichrist doesn't like who will not be killed. For example, we know that uh, from the seven plagues prophecy in Revelation chapters 15 and 16, that the sixth plague is the supernatural drying up of the Euphrates River, and the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the armies uh, of the world will come to invade Israel uh, that way. So there will be people there that they wish to kill that haven't been killed. Some of them will lose their lives, but many will not. The remnant will not. So um, if we look at prophecies elsewhere, so some of the prophecies of the minor prophets like Zechariah, some of the prophecies of the major prophets, specifically Ezekiel in Isaiah, we see that, um, and Daniel, and Daniel, we see that the Antichrist grows in power and dominion, but he's never able to get 100% control of the entire world. So he has authority. Uh, for example, uh, Prophet Randy Chandler has been telling us about what's been happening with the World Health Organization. And so they have certain authority that they will be given over the United States of America, but that doesn't mean that in a specific city or in a specific town that the Antichrist will have uh, mechanisms in place to necessarily kill anyone that he doesn't like. So I don't think I have all the answers to these really good questions, um, but certainly we know the Bible confirms that there are Christians who will be martyred during this time, who will lose their lives, um, but there are those who will not lose their lives. For example, he's going to want to take out the two witnesses. They're not going to lose their lives until the time of their, um, until the time of, their witnessing has ended. Let's see, another question. How do the Christians eat and live during that time of the last three and a half years? Ah, excellent question. So in the purple and scarlet prophecy, Revelation chapter 17 and 18, it talks about the harlot church and uh, says to come out from among them. And so... The mark of the beast will require everyone who wants to buy and sell to have that mark. 
Now, when I think of buying and selling, it happens every day. But another way to think about buying and selling is what did Satan do that got him in such great trouble in the first place? It said that he got, the Bible tells us he got into trouble because of excessive trading. And what do they do on the stock market? They do excessive trading every day. Millions and millions of stocks have this trading. So what I'm getting at is my perception is that the Bible is communicating many things about the economy during the Great Tribulation. The current way of buying and selling is going to be different. It's going to be different what it looks like then relative to what it looks like now. For example, in the Seven Seals Prophecy, we're told, I'm going to go there uh, now, when we hear about the horses, I'm going to chapter 5, chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. When we look at the black horse, it says, when the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, come. I looked up and saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. So imagine that a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. So take home point. Every person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life will not take the mark of the beast. And in the same way that God uh, empowered those during um, when they lived in Egypt and they needed food and they were uh, then they were in the wilderness and they needed food, God fed them and he fed them supernaturally. So the Bible tells us he's the same yesterday, today and forever. So I believe that God may use supernatural mechanisms to uh, give food to people depending on where you live during the great tribulation but also individuals will refuse to be a part of the one world economy now the one world economy will dominate the economic structures and systems and and bank or banks that exist at that time but there will be other economies so if a person wants to buy and sell in uh, the dominant world economy, that's not going to be possible for those of us who are truth seekers. So we won't be participating. Uh, we're going to come out from among them. We won't be a part of those who are participating in the one world government economy. Whatever new stock market or system uh, that they're using, we won't be a part of that because we won't be taking that mark of the beast. But that doesn't mean that there won't be alternative economies, but we won't be able to buy and sell in the traditional way during the Great Tribulation. I don't think I have uh, wonderful answers to these wonderful questions, but I'm excited to receive them and to share what I know, I certainly will be uh, continuing to study. Let's see. Did I miss anything? So we talked about 
the Antichrist is able to do whatever he wants during the last three and a half years. The Great Tribulation. Okay. So I want to thank you for these questions. And I want to see if there's anyone who has a hand raised. Okay. So we are going to continue this discussion. I'm going to revisit these questions in a future broadcast. I am excited to continue our discussion and analysis of the 666 Antichrist prophecy. We'll be back again live, uh, live internet broadcast on Thursday at 9 a.m. Texas time, that's 10 a.m. Eastern, and again next Sunday at 12 p.m. Texas time, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Thank you for being with me and with us. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you according to Jeremiah 33.3. Call out to God, and he will show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know. <laughs>